This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we're talking to Tina Cover, the translator of Disoriental by Nagar Devadi, which is out now from Europa. And you can find a complete transcript as well as a list of all the books mentioned in today's episode by following the link in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Well, Autumn usual one of us has been gushing about this book <laughs> and saying how far are you are you did this part yet oh man <laughs> like so i have had my eye on this book since before it was nominated for the national book award for their inaugural book in translation and i'm just so sad i didn't read it sooner because oh my gosh it's just <laughs> it's just so good it's won all of the things. It was a finalist for the National Book Award, and it's a Lambda winner, and it's won several other English language translation prizes. So uh, it's been doing very well, you might say. And I didn't know until this interview that this is Javadi's first novel. I'm so thankful that Tina translated this book for us because it was originally published in the French, and I don't speak French, so I would have never been able to read this book if it weren't for her and the team at Europa, and we are huge fans of the people over at Europa Editions and the books that they put out. So Tina is a literary translator who studied French at the University of Denver and then also in Switzerland. She has a master's degree in medieval and renaissance studies, and she's been translating literary books for many, many, many years now. And she tells us a little bit later about how she became a translator. But yeah, it was it's so fascinating to get to talk to someone who translates books for a living because it's a job I think that we benefit from but don't often think about. Yeah, and we've been interviewing a lot of different people who work in publishing who aren't authors. So we've talked to designers and we've talked to an editor and uh, several different other people in the industry. And so this is the first time that we've talked to a translator on the podcast. Uh, so without uh, further ado, here's our conversation with Tina Cover. So Tina, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. We are huge fans of translated literature and don't often get to talk to the people who actually translate the work. So we have all kinds of questions for you like really nerdy process questions. So uh, yeah, we're excited. Those are my favorite kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, jumping in then. Uh, so you 
are a translator. So for our listeners who are unfamiliar with your job as a translator, um, what does your process look like for that? Or maybe what does your everyday job kind of look like? Okay, well, I mean, I translate books almost exclusively now. It wasn't always the case. I've spent a lot of years doing a lot of sort of more boring stuff. I guess you'd say, you know, contracts, um, scientific texts, legal texts, a lot of that kind of thing. But with the books, which I still kind of can't believe I get paid to do because they're so, so fantastic. And it's, um, you know, each one is just an incredible journey, really. I get to read a lot of things that I might not have otherwise read. And I get to experience these books in a really intimate way, uh, as much more than just a reader, I get to get fully inside the text and engage with the original creative process. At least that's what I aim for. Uh, I try to get as close to how the author was thinking and feeling when they wrote the original as as I can. So what I do, I mean, my process itself is quite simple. I literally just open the book at page one and I start translating. So that's without reading the book first. Oh. Yeah. Uh, which my understanding is that there are other translators who do that. And I just found out that one of my heroes, Lydia Davis, who's translated Emma Bovary and, you know, um, a, a bunch of amazing work like that. I mean, she's a legend in the literary translation industry. She does not read the books first either. So when I found that out, I was like, that was very validating. But yeah, I, I don't read them first. I feel like it's a way of retaining freshness in the translation, if I don't know what's coming. I also feel like when the author was writing the book, obviously they were kind of creating something from scratch, you know, creating it as they went along. And and maybe they didn't know how things were going to end up either when they first started writing chapter one. So uh, I don't know if it's better or worse than reading the book first, but for me, it's always been kind of a crucial part of my creative process. And I just translated and I discover it as I'm translating and I just go all the way through. I don't jump around. I don't revise very much. I try to kind of get everything right the first time and I just go from page one to the last page and then I go back over the text once. I, I don't really believe in overthinking, you know, the choices that I've made. I think that also can lead to work that seems a bit too stilted um, and that's it. So yeah, it's pretty simple for me, really. That is so fascinating. Um, I guess maybe I would have thought that you would have read it a couple times. But yeah, definitely like when, especially reading The Disoriental, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, like you described it perfectly, like it's not stilted. It seems very fluid. And I kept forgetting that it was a translated book when I was reading it. That's a huge compliment. So how did you become a translator? Like, was it just something you kind of fell into or was it a goal that you had like earlier on in your career? A little bit of both. I studied French as an undergraduate, and I knew that I never wanted to teach. That was never something that I felt drawn to, and I never felt like I'd be any good at it either. So translation was obviously something else that was in the picture, but that's not so easy to get into. So I 
finished my bachelor's degree and then I moved to Switzerland for a couple of years actually. I lived in Lausanne in the French speaking part of Switzerland, which was absolutely amazing and life changing and that was where I gained my real fluency. And when I came back from that, came back to the US to Denver, which is where I'm from, I felt like I really needed to do something with this skill. I knew that it was a skill that a lot of Americans don't have, and I didn't want to waste it. So I just literally started sending out resumes to translation agencies and picking up work that way and starting out really simple, you know, things like birth certificates and, you know, one-page legal documents, just just really small, simple stuff. And it just kind of grew from there. And I did that for about a good six or seven years before really the thought of literature even entered my mind. But obviously, once you've crossed that bridge, there's no, there's no going back. So you started with uh, smaller documents and then moved to books. Uh, when did you first move to books? And maybe what were some of the first books that you translated from French into English? Well, actually, the, the way I got into literary translation was that I, I self-published a book. That was that was the way I started. I This was in 2003, and it was during the real sort of boom of self-publishing. Actually, I had a boyfriend at the time who sort of suggested that I translate a book. And I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. You know, <laughs> right. And he was like, no, I think, you know, I think with 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 self-translation, we could, you know, we could we could make it happen. So I literally just picked one. And the book I picked to translate was a book called The Black City by Georges Sand, who's the famous, you know, Victorian writer who dressed in men's clothing and had a romance with Frédéric Chopin. And she was this colorful character. And I read a lot of her books and she wrote just hundreds of books, literally. And there were a lot of them that hadn't been translated yet. So I chose one that hadn't been translated and I, and I did it myself just on the weekends, bits and pieces here and there, you know, when I wasn't working at Starbucks or all the other million jobs I had to kind of pay the bills while I was trying to establish myself. And I self-published the book with a company in Canada in uh, Victoria in British Columbia called Trafford. And once I had the book, I, again, sort of the old fashioned way, I put a bunch of copies in envelopes and I sent them to literary agents. <laughs> And I said, I've translated this book. And I got a call back from an agent in New York who had already found a publisher. It was really amazing. It's the kind of thing that doesn't happen very often. I, I have to say luck just played a huge part in, in the whole thing because it, this is not the normal way it happens, I don't think. So the book was perked by a publisher called Carolyn Graff. And then I sort of had a proper portfolio starting and... Uh, things kind of went from there. So that was 2004. Wow. And and now you have the Disoriental, which has won all of the things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Disoriental was a finalist for the National Book Award for Translating Literature, which is their new category. It won a Lambda. Uh, it won all of the things in France when in the original language. 
I mean, I think that really speaks the translation that is also equally as powerful um, in English, um, obviously, from all the accolades it's beginning over here. I mean, I feel like maybe this is a common question, but did you expect it to continue to be as powerful? Did you have any initial thoughts when you read the manuscript that really like drew you in, struck you as a book like, oh, I, I need to translate this book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anybody who who's read the book knows that you you can tell just from the first few pages that it's it's very special, it's very unique, uh, and it draws you in immediately. And I had the same experience. Um, I was given the project by Europa Editions, who you know are just absolutely wonderful in the choices they continue to make of what books to bring out into the English-speaking market. And so they gave me the book, and it just felt like a gift really right from the beginning. And I, as I kept on with the translation and got deeper into the book, I just kept thinking, oh, this is this is really, really something. And I, I feel like it could be just a really important book. It, I wasn't thinking so much about prizes, but I was just thinking, you know, this is a book that people need to read. And that I really hope will get the kind of attention it deserves. And, you know, I went through the whole emotional roller coaster that you go on as you're reading the book myself, as I was trying, I was laughing, I was crying, you know, I mean, it was really an, an intense process. And so obviously I was really proud of it when it was finished and it was only boosted by the work of my amazing editor on on this project, Rachel Small at Europa. She's absolutely fantastic. And I think she also felt like it was very, very special. And when the nominations started happening, obviously it was a huge surprise and an amazing surprise and just such an honor, especially because I've been in the industry for, you know, sort of 15 years and to be getting these kind of accolades for my work is hugely gratifying. I mean, of course that's true, but I was also just so happy that the book was getting so much attention and that through the increased visibility that came with these nominations and these awards that more people were going to read it and be touched by it and changed by it. Cause I really think that's what it does. I think if you read it, um, it, it changes you. I mean, you're, you know, you don't forget it. You're not quite the same afterward. I, I think that's so true. Yeah, I mean, I only recently finished the book in the last couple of days, and I'm still kind of um, on a book hangover from it because it's, it's just so good. But you mentioned that you worked with the editor, with your editor at Europa while working on this. Did you also work with the author while you were translating it or after you finished translating it? Not during the process. And again, I can't really speak for anybody else, but in my experience, I tend not to have any contact with the author while I'm translating, except in a couple of rare cases where I've actually known the authors personally before I started translating their work. And in that case, it's more of a give and take during the actual translation. But for the most part, no, I didn't have any contact with her. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly when she came in to the editing process. We became 
you know, Twitter friends, and we had a little bit of contact back and forth. And she was always just so supportive um, and so appreciative. And I always felt like she approved of the job I'd done, which is so important. But I think that she also just was willing to trust the process. And this is where it's a, a collaborative effort, not just by the translator, but but by the editor as well. I mean, a good editor is so important. And really, there were three of us, uh, Nigar, me, and Rachel, who made Disoriental what it became. Since we're kind of talking a little bit about the Disoriental, before we get too far down this line of thought, um, for our listeners who haven't yet read it, could you kind of summarize or describe the book for them? Sure. So Disoriental is... A story told by a woman who is sitting in a fertility clinic in Paris. And she's looking back on her life and her family history and kind of examining all of the forces and personalities and emotions and world events that brought her to where she is now. And so it's a personal story. It's, it is the story of Kimia, the heroine, but it's also the story of Iran in the 20th century. It's the story of Kimia's parents who are, journalists and who are quite politically active. Uh, It's the story of what it means to leave the culture that you were raised in and assimilate into a new culture. And it's the story of figuring out who you are and embracing who you are. Yeah, there's a lot to it, but it's told in a, she says this right at the beginning of the book, it's told in a quite a non-linear way, a very cinematic way. So it jumps back and forth in time and in space and in place. And it's really, uh, it kind of takes hold of you from from the first page. And, and it's it's a ride all the way to the end. Disoriental is so fascinating in that it's so dense and it's so playful. And it has a lot of different types of storytelling within a single uh, novel and there are flashbacks, and it's a very nonlinear story. You mentioned that while you're reading it for the first time, you're translating. Is that particularly challenging when there's so many things, you know, jumping around and changing within the text itself as you're moving through it? Not necessarily. I mean, there were certainly times while I was translating where I'd be going, okay, what just happened? And you know, where is this going? And there was such a feeling of suspense. I felt like I was kind of in a state of sort of tension the whole time because it was um, so emotional for me as well. I think possibly with a lesser book or a lesser writer, it would have been more difficult to kind of grasp, you know, the line of the plot as I was working on it. But Negar who is a screenwriter uh, in France by profession, which I think shows very much in the crafting of the book. She is so capable and she takes you along on a ride where she is so sure of every step and every twist and every shift that you 
can kind of relax into her hands a bit as a reader. And I certainly think that was the case for me as a translator as well. I just kind of went where she where she took me. And we'll be back with more of our conversation with Tina Cover after a word from our sponsor. Uh, the backdrop of a disoriental is the events like leading up and following the Iranian revolution. And so there's a lot going on with Kimia's family and the set during that kind of tumultuous time. And did you do any sort of research or like even after the translation or anything like that into that time period and to have a better like contextual understanding of what Kimia and her family were going through? Yeah, I did a bit. And that actually that's something I find so wonderful about about literary translation is that you learn so much with each book because there's always some background reading that you'll do, some internet research, at least that I'll do. And I think probably I'm I'm far from alone in that in that respect. So it's so incredibly enriching personally to to take on each project. And with Disoriental, I knew a bit about about the Iranian revolution itself, but I, I knew so little about what Iran was like before the revolution, not just politically, but I mean, there's part of the book is set in the Mazandaran Valley in Iran, which is this beautiful, green, lush hilly place. And we don't think of Iran that way. I think we just think of desert, but it's this Switzerland, this absolutely lovely place on the, on the Caspian Sea. And so I got a real sense of how much beauty there was and, and still is in Iran culturally and physically, but also the real sense of what's been lost, what was lost with the 1980 revolution, and I am afraid, has continued to to fade away since then. And I certainly I am no expert, but I in the research I did um, just to get a better sense of what Iran was like in the first 80 years of the 20th century. It only increased the sense of loss and tragedy, really, at what was taken away from 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 the Iranian people. There's been a lot of loss in the Middle East as well. There's been a lot of upheaval for the people there. It's, you know, they haven't always been in the midst of war and upheaval. And there's a, a lot of beauty that's been lost. That's just so true. And, you know, I was very little when 9-11 happened, and this book kind of touches on that a little bit too. And um, books like this do really round out the image a little bit better especially for me as an American like just understanding a little bit better like what was happening at the time but what you're just talking about makes me think too like about how like Disoriental is like just such a perfect title for this book I know you didn't translate it but oh my goodness it's just um because it's the same in French in the French translation as well isn't it that's right yeah Disoriental yeah you touched on this a little bit a minute ago, but I want to visit back to it because when I was reading this book, the way it's written and the cadence of the words is just really beautiful and just really hard to describe. Like, it's definitely an experience, but 
you know, you already mentioned that Kimia says at the beginning that like she can't tell this narrative like straightforwardly in like the editing, especially. Did you make any edits to like keep that like looping rhythm or I just really, really love how it's worded. And I'm just amazed at how beautiful it is. And I really just kind of want to gush about that. And it's not really a question, but... Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, obviously, the French is so beautiful as well. And certainly, if anybody can read it in French, I think they absolutely should. And if I've done justice to the to Negar's beautiful language, then I'm happy. So thank you for saying that. I and again, this is just my personal preference. I tend not to edit very much. I tend to think that the first First instinct is best. Um, The most visceral word choices are the best ones. But this is also where the editors come in, the copy editors, and then the editor who comes in and and reads everything for for content. And, you know, they'll make a suggestion here and there that's absolutely perfect. So it's really a collaborative effort. And there's always a, a point, I'm sure, at which the author reads the manuscript as well. A translated manuscript and however much English they may have or not have it's obviously still comes down to them in the end and whether they're happy or not so it passes through a few hands before it gets to the public but I don't think what I originally produced was really changed very much which is really very gratifying like Autumn said it's such a beautiful, playful language. And, you know, you open it up and a few pages in, you have giant footnotes that are very playful in that they're commenting also on the text. So there's a lot of kind of dialogue within the text itself. It was all there, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Honestly, I just, I'm just the, the mouthpiece and it was all there. She's, she's a beautiful writer. And the fact that this is only her first novel is just incredible to me oh, I can't okay. yeah I can't wait to see what she does next oh it's it's so mind-blowing like I was like wow I it, it really made me sad that I couldn't read it in French like the book was so beautiful I was like I'm so glad I get to experience this book but you know it would be amazing to read it in French too but I I can't speak any other I can barely speak English so um. she gave me a really high compliment which was that she said several of her friends had read the book Several of her French friends had also read the book in English, and they said that they could tell very little difference, that they really they felt like it was the same book. And that's the highest praise that's amazing. for me as a translator is to be invisible like that. You know, if anybody was born to write, I think Negar Javadi was. We could talk about this book probably for a long time. And we are absolutely in love with it. So we hope all of our listeners go and find it. But before we let you go, we wanted to ask you uh, some fun questions. You've mentioned that you have translated a lot of different kinds of documents. What kind of document or format, literary format, that you haven't translated yet that you would love to be able to get your hands on and have the opportunity to do that? Maybe like plays or graphic novels or anything like that? Oh, that's an interesting question. Plays would be really fun, I think. I think that would be that would be great fun. And then to be able to see, you know, your words, to see how they work being spoken aloud would be so interesting because obviously it's a totally different thing to to read dialogue versus to hear it spoken. So that would be a really a real test, I think, of a person's translation skills. 
Um, what else? Oh, I don't know. I, I always pay attention really closely to the subtitles on when I watch TV shows like the Scandinavian, you know, crime shows. My husband and I love those, and I, I but I, I can never quite keep myself from paying more attention to the subtitles and thinking about the choices the translator made and what the original you know, must have been because you obviously have to keep everything so short and so clear. And I just think that would be so challenging and really fun. So I would love to try that sometime. Yeah, I never thought about that, but that would be very challenging to do a TV show. We also wanted to ask you, I've mentioned, I think a couple translators during our conversation, but are there any other uh, women translators whose work you really admire that you'd like to share with our listeners? So, yes, definitely. There was a book that was just a finalist for the Man Booker International Prize a couple months ago, and it was called The Remainder um, by Alia Trabuco-Zaran. And the translator, Sophie Hughes, is somebody whose work I really admire. Uh, She's a lovely person, and she has a lot of really important thoughts about translation itself as well. She does a lot to sort of advance the visibility of the of literary translation. So I admire her on a lot of different fronts and uh, her work is definitely is beautiful. So I would recommend that. And Jennifer Croft, who is the translator of Flights from the Polish by mm-hmm. Olga Tokarczuk. Mm-hmm. And that won the Man Booker International Prize last year. She's another one who I admire as a translator and a scholar, and she's a beautiful writer too. She's just come out with a memoir called uh, Homesick. So those two right now are probably my my big sort of translation crushes because they're just incredible translators, incredible women, and they're doing you know so much to make make our work get the attention it deserves. And then, you know, this August is Women in Translation Month. Are there any other translated books that are your favorites that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, there are so many. It's it's actually, it's really hard to pick. The Women in Translation Month organizer, um, who's uh, Madel Rosinski, she's somebody worth following on Twitter if uh, if you're interested in recommendations of books in translation because she compiles this amazing list of uh, work in translation, not only uh, translated by women, but written by women. And so it's really a multi-layered sort of, there are several layers of importance here because we're supporting women on a number of different levels, culturally. She's who I would point you in the direction of and the listeners in the direction of for for recommendations because no matter what type of book you like, there will be something on her list that she puts out of books in translation that she recommends. So We will definitely link to that. And then are there any projects that you're working on right now that you would like to make our listeners aware of that will be coming out soon or that are in process? I'm so glad you asked. So the next thing I have coming out will be in October. That's in the U.S. It may be coming out a bit later in the U.K., although I'm not positive. The book is called Older Brother, and this is another book from Europa Editions, and it won the 20. 
2018 uh, Goncourt Prize for Best Debut Novel. Uh, the author's name is Mahir Gouvon, and it is the story of two brothers, the sons of a Syrian father and a French mother, and they've grown up in Paris in the banlieue, which is like the sort of, it's the ghetto, but they're kind of suburbs outside Paris, quite rough, quite gritty, and... The two of them are quite different. One of them is an Uber driver. The other one is a nurse in a hospital, and they take sort of very different paths in terms of their upbringing and their adult lives. Again, I'm struggling here because I don't want to give anything away. Um, But one brother, the younger brother, who's the nurse, ends up going back to Syria um, to provide medical care to people who are caught up in the conflict there. Uh, And so the book has kind of a dual narrative where part of it is the older brother telling his story and part of it is the younger brother telling his story. And it's a very different book than Disoriental, but it's important in, I think, the same kind of way where it gives us a window into a world that a lot of us have never thought about and you know, tells us what it's like to be growing up and living in a certain culture and a certain you know stratum of society and the the difficulties that can go along with that and in the world we're living in in this in this you know post September 11th world. So I I hope everybody will check that out. So that'll be out in October. And then the book that I've just finished translating will be out sometime next year from Europa Editions as well. And working title of that one is In the Shadow of the Inferno. And that is a historical mystery set in 1870 Paris uh, during one of the popular uprisings. So if you like Les Miserables, you should read In the Shadow of the Inferno. And that's as far as I'll go with that one. Well, both of those sound amazing, and we are huge fans of Europa Edition, so we will definitely be on the lookout for those. And thank you so much, Tina, for coming and talking to us on the podcast. It was great to talk to you about translation and books that you're reading and interested in, so thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been fun. We'd like to thank Tina Cover for talking to us about her translation of Disoriental, which is out now from Europa. You can find Tina on Twitter at Tina Cover, and of course, all of Tina's information will be linked in our show notes. We'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.